This is Real Estate Rookie episode 336. My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today we're doing a rookie reply, which means we're answering questions from you, our audience. And, uh, you know, Ashley and I love doing these episodes because we get to talk to you guys, right? We get to answer the questions that are most pressing in your brains and in your minds. And today we talk a, a lot about ARV and I'm, I'm not even going to tell you what that is yet because you guys need to listen through. Uh, but we talk about the pitfalls of ARV, how to make sure you're doing it the right way, common mistakes we see new investors make, and pretty much just give you like a master class on all things ARV. So then we're going to talk about repairs and maintenance and capital expenditures, what the difference is, uh, what those things are and different ways to navigate it. Plus, we'll tell you a couple personal stories of things that are going on with us and especially dealing with it on your short term rentals. I want to give a shout out to Grant Warrington. That is Grant W-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. You can find him at Instagram on his name and he does a great job of teaching how to buy and fix apartments. So he has some really cool reels about different stuff, like the lights he uses for rehabs, why you should not paint the electrical outlets and things like that. Um, so go give him a follow and uh, learn some stuff about doing a rehab. Last thing I'll say before we jump in, um, I, I'm not going to read a review today, but I, I just want to encourage all of you guys, if you're a part of the Ricky audience and you want to help us spread the message of financial independence through real estate investing, please do leave an honest rating and review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to. And also make sure to kind of follow or subscribe, right? Those are triggers that platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify look at to gauge the uh, kind of popularity of a show. So if you are listening, uh, make sure you actually subscribe within the platform that you're listening to so that Apple and Spotify know that you actually do enjoy the show. Uh, because again, the more folks that, that know about the Ricky podcast, the more folks are able to help and hopefully inspire to kind of go on this journey with us. And not only do we want you guys to leave reviews, but we also want you to be a part of the Ricky podcast. So if you want to apply to be a guest on this show with me and Ashley, head over to biggerpockets.com slash guest, put in your application and you just might be one of the stories that we get to share. And we love it when you include your wins or something you learned from the amazing guests that we have on the show. So please uh, feel free to, to add that into the review. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. 
That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Okay, let's get into today's questions. The first question is from T.C. Cohen. What are ways or available software that a rookie can find comps in order to estimate a potential ARV of a property? So ARV is the after repair value and the comps are other properties that are comparable in size finishes um, to the property that you are looking for the after repair value. So what this process is, this is where you're going to look at a property and you want to estimate how much it's going to cost to rehab, but you also want to estimate how much it's going to be valued at after the rehab is done because you don't want the rehab to cost $50,000. You're buying the property for $100,000, but after it's repaired, it's only going to be worth $120,000, but you put $150,000 into it. So that's why it's important to find the ARV, the after repair value. One of the ways to do that is to look at other properties that have sold in the area that are comparable to the one you're going to be fixing it up. And you also want to compare it to what the property will be after you do the rehab. So if you're putting in, you know, an extra bedroom, you want to find comparables that will be three bedrooms compared to two bedrooms as the property is now. So uh, to start us off, uh, one of the great resources that actually Bigger Pockets has is Invelo. And if you are a Bigger Pockets Pro member, you get like $50 free to, to spend on there. But um, they also have some free resources on there for you to find comparables in the area. But that um, would be a great starting point. There's also similar software such as PropStream where you can get a free seven-day trial to actually look up a property that is sold in your area. Uh, Tony, what are some of the resources that you're using? Yeah. So um, I think like a, a free way for a new investor who's maybe never done this before is to ask your your realtor or your agent. If you have an agent in that market, um, ask them like, hey, I'm, I'm looking at buying you know this property and doing this kind of rehab with it what would your opinion be of the after repair value and you know depending on how busy the agent is sometimes they might be able to to give you an idea of hey here's some properties i've sold recently that i've seen sell recently that are similar to your property that um you know kind of went for for this dollar amount so asking your agent if you know other real estate investors in that market i think uh, potentially getting your hands on an appraisal 
is one of the best ways to kind of get that idea of the uh, ARV for a property because not only do you get the appraised value of a property in that neighborhood, but you also get to kind of see the the methodology that the appraiser used to come up with that value. And you can also see then the comps that the appraiser used uh, inside of that appraisal. So I, I think uh, some freeways are going to a realtor um, or going to other investors that you know in that market that maybe have appraisals that you can use. Um, and then the other thing is you can look through Zillow. Um, Zillow is definitely not perfect, um, but it does show you recently sold properties and you can kind of filter Zillow to look at properties that have sold in and around that area. So you can definitely use Zillow as a, a free tool. You just have to know how to kind of tweak the data and then the like a, a third software and actually I, I actually just got a like a free trial of this or maybe not even a free trial I think I've ended up paying for it like a, a week ago but it's Privy have you heard of Privy I've heard of it but I've never used it yeah so I, you know I was I was just trying to do some comp work and I said let me try out Privy I haven't tried it before and um, it, it's similar to PropStream and I'm sure in Velo as well um, but I, I like the user interface just a, a little bit more and uh, it has like a little bit of. I don't know if it's AI. <laughs> it's like, I feel like people use the term AI pretty loosely these days, but basically it, it has like this kind of model that says like, Hey, I'm looking for flip, fix and flip properties that are at 70% of the ARV. And it'll kind of look at the properties in and around uh, that, 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 that subject property and estimate, you know, where can I get to 70% of that, the ARV. So Privy is actually a, a pretty cool one as well. Yeah, the only other ones I would mention are a couple free resources. Um, your local newspaper for your city might actually uh, put out what the sold recent sold transactions. So here in Buffalo, it's the Buffalo News, and I think Buffalo Business First does it too. But they will actually, I they go back like six weeks or whatever. So when you get the newspaper, it'll be from transactions from like six weeks ago, I think. And it will list all of the sold properties by town um, that their newspaper covers. And, you know, it doesn't tell you how many beds, how many baths, anything like that. But you could take, um, you know, those properties and you then you'd have to go and, you know, type in the address into Google and you'll be able to find, especially if it was a property that was listed on the MLS, you'll be able to find how many bed baths and if it's comparable. But you can uh, check out the newspaper for that. Also, it's available online. I have looked in like sometimes after you visit the newspaper website so many times, they make you actually buy <laughs> buy it. You can't just get the the transactions for free. So, Asher, are you telling me you have like the Sunday newspaper dropped off at your, your doorstep every week right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't because that's why I try and go and find it online. So I don't have to pay for it. But I do get the the business one. That one I yeah. do. But <laughs> then the other one is the ORS, which is O-A-R-S, and a lot of cities and towns have this software available. So the, the town actually chooses that they have this software. And I had no idea what it stood for, but I Googled it and it's OPI Authorization and Reporting Systems. It's a information system that is actually created by uh, the U.S. government and it puts out data about property. So if you go to your town assessor's webpage, it may have a link to this and you can type in your property address and there will be a button there to pull comps and it will actually give you a suggestion of what comparables are in the area um, based on approximate location to your property and bedroom, bathroom count and square footage. So I think that's a great starting part point, especially for rookies who are maybe just looking for a couple of deals. They're not trying to, you know, run comparables on, you know, 50 properties a day 
And you can use these free resources or free trials before actually committing and paying for a subscription. Ash, should we talk a little bit about common mistakes that folks make when it comes to estimating your ARV, kind of pulling your comps? Because I I think it's easy to... um, kind of get overly excited, I think, you know, when <laughs> yeah. you start to pull comps for a property. So I, I think there, there's a few things to kind of button down. So first is that when you're searching for comps, you want to make sure that that your subject property and the comparable property, and when we say comps, guys, we're talking about comparable properties, right? Um, but you want to make sure that your comps are like kind, that they're similar to your subject property. So you want to make sure that there's, uh, you know, the, the stories, right? You ideally want to take a, a one story to a two or to, to another one story. So you don't want to have a one story home that's a ranch to a, a two story Victorian or something. You know, I don't, I don't know all my house types like that, but you know, one story to one story is ideal. Um, the years that they were built and a lot of times can, can, be a big factor. You don't want to take a house that was built in the fifties and compare it to new construction from 2023, because those are to- two totally different types of, of builds. Um, square footage, right? So if your subject property is a thousand square feet, you don't want to compare that to a house that's 2,500 square feet or even 1,900 square feet. Um, lot size. If you're sitting on an eighth of an acre, like the houses are in my neighborhood, I can't compare that to Ashley who's sitting on like 200, right? Two totally different uh, value propositions there. And then obviously like bedroom and, and bath count are important as well. Now, there, there are some ways that you can kind of up adjust or down adjust the numbers a little bit to say that as you're looking for comps, um, maybe the... Um, you know, your subject property is a, a, a three bedroom, one bath, but there's a comp next door that's a three bedroom, two bath. Okay. So there's a, a little bit of, uh, like you want to decrease your value just a little bit because you're missing a, a, a bathroom. The amount you should decrease is hard to know. Um, you know, you, you kind of got to guess a little bit unless you have some appraisers you can talk to or maybe real estate agents and kind of point in the right direction. But basically, if you're close, you can use it, but you still have to decrease a little bit. So like kind is one thing. Ash, what other kind of common mistakes do you see when it comes to uh, estimating the ARV? Yeah, those are all uh, great points. I think another thing to add on to that is to really understand how assessors in your area are uh, actually assessing the property value. So if you're going to refinance or you're selling the property and somebody's going to be buying it, they will most likely have to have an appraisal done by the bank or you will if you're refinancing. So you want to have um, some kind of comprehension of how they're actually calculating it. If you've seen on Instagram maybe before the memes of, oh, here's how an appraiser calculates. And, you know, it's just like them like, I'm going to guess this number, you know, <laughs> like there is no like try and true method they have. Um, so if you ever looked at an appraisal, it's almost like a chart and it will tell you what, you know, they are actually looking at as far as the appraisal. So like they'll grade the kitchen as to is it poor condition, good condition, excellent condition. And they'll also do that for the other ones. And then sometimes they'll put dollar amounts to it. So this parcel has, you know, 10 more acres than the other one. Maybe they'll add $20,000 in value to the one with, you know, the 10 acres instead of the one acre, things like that. But that can kind of help you estimate and gauge what the, you know, what's going through the appraiser's mind. Obviously, you're not going to have the same exact appraiser um, as if you're looking at appraisal report. But at least you'll get an idea of what's the list of things they're actually going to be paying attention to. So, for example, I did an appraisal on a property and they didn't count any of the sheds because they actually are removable. When you leave this property, you could lift those sheds up on a forklift, put them on a flatbed and 
take them away with you to the next location. So since they weren't actually fixed to the property, they weren't counted into the appraisal and did not add any value as additional structures. So looking at those kind of things, I recommend going onto Facebook right now or even Instagram and just, hey, does anybody I know in blah, blah, blah city where you want to invest in have a copy of an appraisal? Even if you have real estate agent friends, ask them like, hey, do you know anyone that has had an appraisal done and you like know them well enough, you, they would give you a copy of it, whatever it is, and just go through and look at it. It's super informational to take a look at that. And then the last thing I would suggest is make sure, especially with how the market is changing so much within the past couple of years, going up and down, up and down and all over the place, make sure you are looking at actual sold properties and not pending. Just because a property went pending doesn't mean it has sold. It could fall out of contract. And also you don't know what the actual sales price is when it's pending, because even if it was, you know, they were asking $200,000, it doesn't mean that it actually sold for $200,000 or it sold for more than that. And the last thing you want to find out is it actually sold for 150,000. So make sure it's a sold property and it's within a good window of time. So if you have to expand your reach a little bit when you're looking at comps and go out like a wider, um, what's the word I'm looking, radius from where your property is, you know, it's better to do that than to look at a property that sold two years ago when everybody was getting top dollar before interest rates shot up, you know? So definitely taking a look at those things and making sure it's actually a sold property and not pending. Yeah, Ash, you bring up kind of two two other important points about mistakes, but it's it's the search radius and it's the date range. Um, I, I I think you said it exactly in the same way that I, I view it in my mind, and kind of what my appraisers have told me as well is that um, the the kind of sequence is you want distance, similar distance, similarity, and then date range, right? Uh, or I guess really. Similarity, distance, then date range, right? You want the similar properties and then as close as you can get them within the most recent time possible. Um, so similarity, distance, date range. Um, so like Ashley said, if I'm buying in, uh, in like a suburban area where again, each house is kind of sitting on a, an eighth of an acre, I can't go out f- into a five mile radius because there's, there's way too many properties that are closer than that. There would be good comps to mine. So like for me, when we had our, our house appraised, when we did, uh, like we refinanced a few years ago, they were like, it was like in my neighborhood, you know, like all walking distance from my house was the, the radius that they used. Now in a place like Joshua Tree, where the majority of the properties are, are sitting on acreage, you know, I think our, one of our closest comps or one of the comps that was in, included in our appraisal report was like four miles away, right? But it's because the, the parcels are so big, the, um, the, uh, like the number of comparable listings was, was significantly smaller. So they had to go a little bit wider. Um, so ideally you want to start as tight and small as possible with your radius and then expand out only if you can't find good properties. Um, and then to Ashley's point, you definitely want to focus on your date range. I know for me, Ash, typically when I, when I'm looking, especially now I try and start with like the previous 90 days, right. And, and I don't want to go anything greater than 90 days to begin with. And only if I feel like my radius is getting too big, then will I start to push it out to maybe six months. Um, and I feel like anything beyond six months is going to be tough, right? Especially in this climate, because the markets in a lot of places are shifting so much where if you try and go back, you know, like you said, a, a year, the market's completely different, you know, in summer of 2020 
2022 than it is in summer 2023. Um, so I think just those things, distance and date range are incredibly important as well. Uh, the thing I, w- I haven't, another thing after you said that, that reminded me is the time to close too on a property. Mm-hmm. So in California, you can do a pretty quick close. Like you're yeah. doing closes in 21 days, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So in New York state, like that's almost impossible. <laughs> so you're looking sometimes you are looking at 90 days to close on a property. And during that time period, a lot of things can change um, during the those 90 days. So that's also something uh, very important to look at too, as to when did the, the property go under contract? When did it actually go pending compared to when it actually sold. So you can kind of see like, okay, this property actually went pending. So they made that offer. We're going to buy it at that price for, you know, the six months ago. And then they went and closed on it. But the appraiser is going to still look at that closed price. Like when the property actually closed, not when it under went under contract. So, but if something went under contract six months ago and the interest rates were a little bit better and it was spring, everybody's out house hunting and they, you know, they bought it for half a million. Well, now they close six months later because of different issues, whatever. But then the other comparables, their interest rates went back up. It's starting to become winter. People aren't, you know, wanting to move in the winter and the sold prices have dropped. So now you have one comp that's really good, but then you have your two other comps that are bringing the properties down. So make sure you are taking that range of comps and not just relying on one or two. You have at least three of them too, because there's all these different factors that that can come into play. Ash, just out of curiosity, because uh, I yeah, I forget that sometimes it can take that long for you guys to close on stuff in uh in New York. Do you do you have anything in your purchase agreements where it's like, hey, if the uh, you know market values shift by X percentage during our closing period, then we have the ability to to renegotiate or or do you just kind of, are you at the mercy of the market? Yeah, because most of our offers are all cash purchases, no contingencies. So if there was a contingency put on it, our offer probably wouldn't. Gotcha. Interesting. I did um, actually just put an offer in this weekend. I was at my kid's football game. And uh, right before their game was starting, they're doing their warm ups, and I'm just scrolling Zillow, you know, <laughs> better than Instagram. <laughs> yeah, usually, you know, what, what all and, real estate investors. And do. so I see this property, and I'm like, I feel like that's really close to another property we own. And we, I look, and it's two parcels away. And so it's our other one is a little cabin, um, a little goat barn, a pond, and it's ten acres. And this was five acres with a little one bedroom cottage on it. Part of the cottage had this beautiful like glass room that's off of it. And it was listed for $124,000. I'm like, oh my God, we can rent this on Airbnb for this much money. Like at this price, this is great. So I sent it, I texted it to Daryl, who was somewhere there at the game doing something before it started. And I texted it to him and I'm going through and I was like, I, we need this. Like if we can get it at this price. So I text my agent and I said, I make an offer at, um, the, the, whatever they want, no contingencies, no expense, can't talk inspection. And, um, you know, we'll just take it. So she texted me back. She said, okay, I put in a, I asked the agent about verbal offers and she said they have gotten so many requests for showings. They are three days booked out for showings already. So she's not going to take any offers and they're now going to put a deadline on offers. 
So Daryl comes back over. He's like, oh, that house sounds like pretty good. Like, I was like, yeah, I already put an offer. In. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, I did tell you. But yeah. so now we have to, the deadline is actually right now. It's 1.02 p.m. right now on Tuesday. And the offers were due at 1 p.m. So we just went a, a thousand over asking because it's a great deal even at that. And just gonna, we don't get it. There's other properties, things like that, but it, I only want it if it's a great deal. So it makes me think though, Ash, like, is there, is there a time and place where maybe the ARV isn't as important? Um, so for example, we're, we're working on a commercial deal right now and it's, uh, it's a, it's a seller financed deal. Um, we're picking it up for nine fifty. Uh, but they gave us a 30 year amortization period. So for our, our rookies that are listening, that means that just like a traditional mortgage, those payments are being stretched out over 30 years. It's a, uh, a 10 year term. So we either have to sell or refinance at the end of 10 years. And it's a, um, 7% interest rate on a commercial property, which is pretty good given where we're at. Um, and I, I want to say, and I think it was like 200 K down. So our payment on this, 13 unit motel is going to be like, I don't know, four grand a month or something like that, you know? Um, and is and it, it, there's no balloon payment or anything over the, at year 10, oh, year 10. Okay. Year 10. Yeah. So you don't have to refinance and for 10 years. We don't have to refinance for 10 years. So we got <laughs> so 7% interest rate locked in for, for 10 years. Yeah. So any comp now is not going to be bad yeah. anyways. And, and it's just like, does it, does it even matter what yeah. the property is going to, uh, appraise for right now because it's like we have an entire decade <laughs> yeah. to get this like even if we did nothing in most markets for a decade you're going to see some level of appreciation you know and it, it's just like in that situation we're not necessarily super concerned about the comparables because we've got this really good fixed debt so i bring that up to say like if you're a ricky and, and you've got a good deal like that where maybe there's some creative finance involved and you don't necessarily have to worry about going out and getting an appraisal at any point in time then does it really matter, you know, kind of what the property is going to go into your praise for as long as you're cash flowing. Um, I think that's, you know, obviously you don't want to go too far underwater, you know, but you know, in, in the short term, you can probably weather that storm. When we talked to Pace Morby on here, actually, we've, I think we talked to him a couple of times when at BP and then we had him on uh, an actual episode, but he, that's a lot of what he talks about is that the purchase price isn't always the, the most important thing that if you can get, you know, seller financing or subject to, and you don't even have to go to a bank to refinance who cares at, you know, to a certain extent, what your purchase price is. If your payment is going to be, you know, 0% interest and it's going to make you cash flow on the property. So, and to your point, that's exactly one thing. When I looked at that property, I didn't sit there and actually analyze it. I have like an easy calculators app on my phone. And I was like, okay, this is, this is what my mortgage would payment would be, you know, if I actually, you know, put a bank loan on it or whatever. And then I looked at, this is my daily rate for Airbnb. I'm going to do, you know, conservative, do like 65% occupancy. And this is how much I make a month. And I'm like, okay, I know property tax would be about this. And I just like, you know, on my little phone calculator, figuring this out in my head. And I'm like, okay, it would cash flow. So it doesn't matter, right? Like how much we're paying for it, because I know I can set, I can get terms at this price for it. So if it doesn't refinance at, you know, a certain amount, this is what I get my, well, we would be using private money, not bank lending on that one. But um, yeah, that's a great point about the the purchase price. <laughs> 
Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. And just like if you guys want to, you know, waste a bunch of time um, for our rookies that are listening, just like play around with like a mortgage calculator and like see how different the interest rates kind of impact things. Right. It's like if I were if I were to buy a million dollar home at a two percent interest rate, that's thirty about thirty seven hundred bucks a month. Right. At seven percent, that's sixty six hundred bucks a month. So just imagine the the kind of leverage you can get if you are able to get some of this creative financing. Um, you know, even if the purchase price is super high, your your actual return is relatively low. So um, not to go too far off on a tangent, but just some something to consider that sometimes the ARV isn't as important if the terms that you've got for that deal are incredibly strong. Yeah, and since part of the question was what kind of software can he use, can he use to find comps, the the calculator software that I use is called EZ calculator and it um let's see where did I go so it's like fncalculator.com is the actual website for it but it has one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven sixteen different calculators on here you could do a compound interest calculator so if you want to figure out how much you know interest your money would make in the bank compared to investing it in real estate you can figure that out the currency converter in case you're buying something in Mexico but 
um, all these uh, retirement 401k calculator, but the loan calculator is on there and it's just a credit card payoff calculator. So I, that's this is a calculator app that I use all the time for playing with mortgages to see what they would be, you know, based on down payment or what the interest rate might be if I do bank financing or private money and things like that. Oh, and actually another couple apps that uh, I'll tell you too is um, uh, a hunting app called OnX Hunt. And so it's actually for hunters. So if you're like tracking a deer, you know whose property you're on. So if you need to, you know, ask permission to track the deer on their property, things like that. And but you can actually see the parcels and you can also see, um, you know, the satellite view of the land. And it will actually tell you, like, this is 80 percent forest. This is, you know, 10 percent field. This is 10 percent structure, whatever it may be. Um, but that's a super, super helpful app, too, for kind of looking at a property to kind of compare it to others. Um, another one is Land Glide, which is actually for real estate investors, but they um, have a parcel view, and then they also have that satellite view too, and give you a bunch of information about who owns it, things like that. Let's go on to our next question. This one is from Daniel Dow. Curious, what mid-range repairs do you classify as CapEx versus general maintenance? So CapEx is capital expenditures. Uh, then he goes on to say, for example, I would think we would all consider a clogged drain as maintenance and a new roof as cap X. What about things replacing a water heater, garage door or toilet? And secondly, do you distinguish between these expenses in your books? So here's one big way is um, if the vendor that's actually doing this for you charges you sales tax or not, or they give you a capital improvements uh, form. So if you are doing a capital improvement, you don't have to pay sales tax on that expense. If you're getting the new roof put on um, and you're going to write it off as a capital expenditure depreciated over so many years, you don't have to pay sales tax on it. So the vendor, the contractor will actually give you a form to fill out saying that you're going to be using this improvement as a capital improvement, and then they will not charge you sales tax on having that service done. So if a vendor gives you that, you do fill that out and give it back to them, then you are obligated to report that in your books as a capital expenditure. You do you do have the option to actually pay sales tax on it, though, and not do it as a capital expenditure, I suppose. I wasn't aware of that, though, actually. I thought you, you just educated me and taught me something new. Um, you know, I, that's at least in New yeah. York state, I would assume. Okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's I've never, just New York. Yeah. I've never been charged sales tax for like our like service related type, uh, expenses, at least not that I know of, maybe they're like baking it in somehow. Yeah. Maybe uh, that is just New York then. Yeah. But you know, I, I think you, you do bring up a good point about the tax piece. It's like, um, I know when I do like a, a cost segregation study on my, uh, on my properties, uh, and for our rookies that are listening, a, a cost segregation study is basically you taking all the different parts of your house and uh, separating out the depreciation schedule for each kind of individual part of your home. So on a typical uh, home purchase, they depreciate everything evenly over, what is it, like 27 and a half years or something like that, some really odd number. Um, and, and everything's like equally depreciated over that time schedule. When you do a cost segregation study, you're able to depreciate some things uh, in a year or in 12 months, or I'm sorry, or in five years or in some other period. So um, 
when I think of like capital expenditures, I'm thinking of replacing things that would show up on like that kind of report. So it's like, Hey, my, my roof is, you know, it's going to have to be replaced at, at some point in time. Um, major, uh, like HVAC systems, um, things that, you know, at, at, over they have like a given use of time and it's typically like not something that's super short. So for example, like the way that we kind of split it up in our business, if a guest checks into one of our properties and uh, they break the handle on the toilet, <laughs> that is typically something we're going to categorize as repairs. Um, if we have to, uh, like I said, like uh, replace the entire roof, that's something, or let me give a better example. If a single shingle comes loose from our roof, we'll call that repairs and maintenance. If we're replacing the entire roof, we're calling that CapEx. So for me, it's like the, the, the size of the job. And then, like I said, for, I don't know if this is just like the way that my brain kind of processes it, but it's like, what are the things that it, like I'm going to depreciate over a long period of time? It's the stuff that I consider as CapEx. How does it, how does it work in your brain, Ash? Yeah. So it's, if you're, here's two like dead giveaways, you're adding value to the property. So maybe it's something you didn't have before that you're adding value. You're, you know, putting, um, an addition on You're turning a bedroom into a bathroom or, you know, something like that. You're adding something new to the physical property. Um, the next thing would be is you are replacing something such as the mechanics, you're replacing the roof, things like that. Um, Kind of the the definition in accounting terms as far as like for the depreciation, if it has a useful life of less than one year, it is a repair or maintenance. So if something that's going to, you know, have a longer life, you're supposed to write it off um, as a capital expenditure. But if it's something that's only going to be useful for less than a year. So like your HVAC filter. You have to put new filters in. They usually last three to six months. And so that is not something that would be repair or maintenance um, on the property. So I think kind of generally looking at is it adding value to the property? Are you replacing something that's already in the property? And then also um, then kind of like the gray area as far as like the the repairs and maintenance of how big is that repair or that maintenance is going to add value for more than a year. In, in terms of like setting money aside, um, every person listening should be setting money aside for uh, capital expenditures, your CapEx and your repairs and maintenance. Um, we typically, because you know our, our properties do tens of thousands of dollars a year and in, in revenue sometimes over six figures. Uh, so we typically just kind of have one bucket that we dump all of our repairs and maintenance and our CapEx into. And usually for most of our properties, that, that tends to work pretty well. But we'll take 5% of our gross revenue and put that aside uh, for uh, repairs and maintenance and CapEx. And that that honestly, that's that's actually not even really true. Typically, we'll just put aside 5% for CapEx really for kind of like the, the bigger expenses. And then because our properties or short-term rentals generate more revenue, we typically just handle the repairs and maintenance with whatever money was kind of generated during that month. So that's typically kind of how we, we set things up. But how do you do it on the, on the short-term side, Ash? Yeah, I don't have a ton of partners. So I know for you with all of your partners, it's you have to have that 5% for each property and save separately because you have the different bank accounts. But for me, I just have three partners and um, we each pretty much, we keep a minimum balance in um, our 
our LLC accounts. Um, we don't go under that minimum balance. And then also um, we each have our own accounts that have a good chunk of money so that that's where we each like, you know, it's our kind of our obligation to each other where, okay, you know what? We need to put this new roof on, you know, our reserves won't cover it. Um, we need to put in, you know, an extra each $2,000 or whatever. And then we go ahead and pull that money from our separate property savings. But um, it used to be like, we would do 15%, five for vacancy, five for CapEx and um, five for repairs and maintenance. But then it got to the point where, you know, you you kind of grow and scale. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of money to be sitting, sitting in reserves reserves and um, to have bad things happen at every property at once. um, That might not happen. And then same is true. Like if for some reason that did happen where something bad happened to every single property, we would just have to use the cash flow from that month mm-hmm. to put towards yeah. taking care. That actually did happen to us where we had just like, uh, <laughs> I think what's it, I think it was earlier this year. Um, you know, we, we installed a bunch of hot tubs at our properties, um, uh, sometime in 2022. So over the course of 2022, we installed a bunch of hot tubs and we had a, um, a less than stellar um, electrician um, kind of install everything for us. Yeah. And, you know, you have to like do electrical hookup and it's like a few thousand bucks to get the electrical done for uh, a hot tub, depending on like where it is from the panel and you got to run and, you know, maybe even dig conduit, all that good stuff. So anyway, we end up like, for whatever reason, that electrician wasn't available when we got a new hot tub. So we hired like another guy and, you know, this guy was, um, you know, uh, a little bit more sophisticated of a, of a, an electrician, and, um, he, like the properties just happened to be next door to each other. And he went to like the wrong property first. And he was looking at the electrical. He's like, guys, I think something's wrong here. Like the way this electrical was done. So just by chance, he ends up seeing the other guys work. And he was like, I honestly would not let anyone get into these hot tubs until I fix the electrical. So we, we had to like turn off the power to all the hot tubs and we had to redo electrical on like, I don't know, I think it was like eight or nine properties, like in the span of a month. Yeah. And you know, each one's like a few thousand bucks per pop. So, yeah. um, Typically and that plus, doesn't like, happen. Having to do that, coordinate that around guests, tell guests they can't totally. use the hot they, tub. They can't use like, the hot tub. It ugh. was, yeah, that was, that was a bit of a nightmare. Um, yeah. But there are times, I guess, where, you know, the, the quote unquote uh, stuff can hit the fan all at the same yeah. time. Um, well, it, it is good to kind of have those reserves. I With that coordinating guests, things like that too, is like, that's one thing that stinks about short-term rentals is that like when guests come, they're on vacation, they don't expect to have somebody there doing maintenance for a long-term totally. tenant. They're like, yeah, come do maintenance. Cause we live yeah, here. We want the space. It. Like take care <laughs> right. of it. Yeah. So at, at, once again, at my son's football game this weekend, um, we, my, the person that manages our short-term rentals, she was on vacation and she, I knew she was on vacation, but she had never said like, you know, I'm going on vacation. Is it okay if I don't respond? Can you watch over it? Whatever and stuff, because she was going to do that. But I, I still get the Airbnb messages that pop up on my phone and I saw, and it was something about the Wi-Fi, And I was just like, oh, you know what? She's uh, on vacation. So, but she actually started texting our group text and she's like, Daryl, the Wi-Fi is not working. Um, so he called the service company and they said, you know, it's, we don't have any outages, whatever. And so then She's like having them reset the the modem and everything and can't get it to work. So Daryl calls back and they're like, okay, well, we'll send a service technician out. 
and they end up sending a service technician out. And Daryl's Daryl's like, I'll leave the game. I'll go. I'll check it out. I'm like, no, we have to learn to let these things be handled. <laughs> and it's okay. Just wait. Like if we get a four star review, I'm like, well, I'll give her $75. Okay. I'm yeah. going to say, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. I'll send her back $75. Will that make you sit? Okay. During this game. <laughs> and so I sent her the credit. I was like, I'll podge, I apologize. They're going to send a service guy out to check it out. They shouldn't need interior access. And she's like, okay, we won't be here. Thank you so much. And the service technician gets there and he's like, actually, I do need access. So it was really nice. We just let the guest know he was going to go in. They were fine with it. We unlocked it from our phone and, you know, he went in. The breaker was off. That's why the internet wasn't working. <laughs> and this company is so amazing. And this internet provider definitely wasn't some household name internet provider. Yeah. They, the guy, he's like, oh, I just popped, you know, it must have popped. I just turned it back on and now everything is working and you're all uh, set. And, you know, this is Saturday afternoon. This technician is coming out to fix the Wi-Fi. And it's like, yeah. here, we should have sent, you know. Daryl out or something you know, to just, just turn the breaker on or yeah. at which, you know, in all the long-term properties, anytime an outlet isn't working, whatever, we always have them check the breaker. And for some reason with the internet, we just didn't make that connection and ask them to check the breaker and stuff. But yeah, that was a, it, it's crazy how there's always like uh, little things that happen, you know, as you're running your your properties, you know, and but it, it's kind of cool because it 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 kind of reinforces exactly what you said. It reinforces you, or I guess it it reminds you that you need to always kind of be optimizing your your systems and yeah, your processes, keep updating, and yeah. totally. And one of the things I do daily, or I try and do it daily, but with our VA team is I review the messages between my VAs and the guests who are checking out that day. And, you know, some, a lot of times nothing happens, you know, it's just like, Hey, cool. Thanks. I'm in, Hey, I'm out, you know, but sometimes things happen and, and I, I get to see how the VAs are handling those situations and then I can give them feedback and say, Hey, this is what we should be doing next time. Make sure you update the SOPs or, Hey, we actually don't have an SOP for this, but here's what I want you guys to be doing moving forward, you know? Um, so identifying those moments and then really updating them, I think is, uh, the same with reviews. Are you looking at the reviews? Cause we get, don't really get a lot in the messaging of people telling us different things, but we get a lot of private feedback of different things. And, and I'm actually like surprised at like how many people will still give you a five-star review and amazing things. And then they are actually really considerate and say like this person with the internet is just like, you know, it, it really was an inconvenience to us to not have the internet because there's no like cable or anything. That's the only way to watch TV, but thankfully it was a beautiful day out, but um, you know, they just said that was, but they did appreciate that. And then I think there was like one other thing, um, issue that came up where like, we just want to let you know and stuff like that. But, um, I find that very helpful too, to review those private notes that they, they send and, um, kind of use that too, to update things that you wouldn't even think of. We, we love looking through, uh, the messages on a more frequent basis. And then we try and look at the reviews weekly. Um, and it's good to look at both because sometimes a guest, like you said, they'll, they'll tell you, you'll, you'll see something in the messages that doesn't show up in the review. And then the inverse is true. Well, the guests won't say anything at all during their stay, yeah, but then yeah. they'll just like rail on you in the yeah. review. And it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, like how, do, I think the absolute worst, or, and we see this sometimes, it's like where, um, the, the messages are clean. You know, the guests said they had a, a really good time. Um, the public review is 
glowing. Yeah. The private review is blank. And then they still give us like a four star. And we're like, <laughs> what, like, what the heck happened? You know, like we have nothing, no, said, yeah. nothing to work with, you know, but yeah, it is good practice to review all that stuff. Okay. And as far as the last question, do you distinguish between these expenses in your books? So your capital expenditures actually go on your balance sheet as an asset. And then your repairs and maintenance are actually an expense on your profit and loss statement. So what this means is that if you pay a roofer $10,000 and you have $50,000 in revenue and say that roof was your only expense for some reason. And so you have that 50,000 revenue and then you're subtracting that 10,000. You're like, okay, I have a profit of $40,000. I'll report it on my taxes. But no, because it's a capital expenditure, it's not. It's going to be depreciated and your accountant will take a portion of that $10,000 and write it off for this year because the useful life of that roof is 27 and whatever years and it will be depreciated over that amount of time. So you're only writing off that that portion of it. And so that's where cash flow comes in. When you're actually calculating cash flow, you do take in those kind of expenses to calculate your cash flow. It's not just not taken into account for your profit and loss statement. So this is why it's so great to do tax planning so you can talk to your CPA and, you know, you're doing all these capital improvements, but then you find out that you can only depreciate a portion of it. And now you have to pay taxes on, you know, part of that money that was actually spent in this year. And I did just look it up and validate. Yeah, it is 27.5 years is the typical depreciation schedule for residential real estate. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's Rookie Reply. If you have a question that you want answered, please go to biggerpockets.com slash reply, or you can send a DM to Tony or I. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Wednesday with a guest. See you guys then. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.